Hey, so welcome to the Radio Podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs, by entrepreneurs, by EO members, members of the Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, specifically in South Africa, but lessons that we feel are applicable for all over the world. My name is Richard Mulholland. I'm an EO member, entrepreneur, and business owner. And I'm here today with Adam Fall from the Star Film Company. Hey, Adam. Hey, how are you doing, Rich? Fantastic. How are you doing? Thanks for being on the show. Absolute pleasure. Happy to be here. So Adam and I are forum mates. That means that uh, Adam is part of the board of directors of my life and vice versa. And it's quite funny because we're sitting down to record this podcast and this person who knows my deepest, darkest secrets about my life, and I know the deepest, darkest secrets about his life, but I've pronounced his surname wrong. <laughs> uh, do you get that a lot? I get that all the time, if not daily. Um, and I'm quite impressed that you got it right on this podcast. So sometimes I'm Adam Ty, sometimes I'm Adam Thal. Tall, tell, towel, but Thal, as you said it, spot on. So well done. So if nothing else, if nothing else, if you walk up to Adam in the street from this podcast, you will know how to say his surname properly. So Adam, uh, obviously as an EO member, you have a business and you started and run a, a company, uh, the Star Film Company. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about the business, how it started, uh, and maybe just pitch your business to us in 60 seconds so we understand it? Sure. So I'm the founder and executive producer of the Star Film Company. We've been going 15 years now, and in a nutshell, we are TV commercial producers for the advertising industry, and we focus on 30 seconds and below. So my life is literally the 30-second spot. So two things I want to touch on there. Um, uh, Almost everybody else that we... (laughs) <laughs> interview on the show, myself and Ross, uh, would, they would answer with, uh, I am the founder and CEO. Uh, interesting, a founder and executive producer. What's the difference? Um, I suppose it's just a title at the end of the day. But um, in my industry, my assets and stock are my creative directors. So as executive producer, or as the role entails, is herding cats, I, suppose, I guess. <laughs> um So producer normally handles one director, executive producer in my business handles seven directors. So um, yeah, it's less the business title, more the creative title, I guess. And does the executive producer also run the finances of the business? I guess because the business is a big project, right? Absolutely, yeah. So executive producer on a film is the person that brings the money. On a TV commercial, it's the person that oversees the entire process. So from the business side to the creative side to looking after the staff, everything, all of that. Cool. So the second thing that you said that um, uh, sparked something for me was that you said it's about the 30-second or less. Now, when we grew up, obviously, you would watch TV, you'd be watching the A-Team, and then the ad break would happen, and you'd run to make some coffee, but it'd be a series of 30-second commercials. Nowadays, though, the by far the most adverts I consume would actually be on YouTube videos, uh, the, the first opening five seconds. Yeah. And what amazes me is people are making still 30-second spots, yeah. but actually they've only bought five seconds of attention. And do you think that this is what's happening is that with the attention economy changing, uh, that you now have to master the five-second spot, I mean, which obviously makes a major absolutely. constraint on you as a filmmaker? Yeah, absolutely. So that's why um, I originally mentioned 30 seconds or less. Because the industry and my business in general is adapting big time to the five-second spot. Or the reason we handle 30-second spots still is 
because people have the opportunity to skip the commercial after five, but if they're engaged, they can watch the entire commercial still. So our focus is actually the first five seconds of the spot. Right, because that's the hook. That's the hook. Yeah, so if, you, if, they've, not, if they've not made me say, say, well, hold on a second, this interruption just got real, got interesting, I actually want to see the whole interruption before this is, ends. Exactly. So you've got to create an itch very, very early on. Without a doubt. If you don't catch your audience or target market within the first five seconds, you've lost them, no matter what. So it's quite funny because being a presentation guy, my business uh, creates presentations and coaches people and trains them. I, I say the exact same thing is you're, you've got to buy somebody's attention up front before you can sell them anything. And I think what happens in a lot of adverts is they set out trying to sell you something, but they're not trying to buy you first. Absolutely. Whereas it sounds like that's exactly what you guys are doing. That's what we're trying to focus on now, 100%. It's more about hooking your audience than selling the product. Right. So the five-second job is actually a pitch to the audience for the audience. Yeah. And then the 25 seconds thereafter is a pitch for the audience the for your product. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Five-second creative, 25-second infomercial. Now, out of interest, I mean, you know that and you apply that every single day in what you do for your customers. But do you feel that you do that as a business when you're pitching? Are you, like, has it come back to you as a business owner? Like, do you think you apply that same psychology to your own company? If I went to your website, would I get a five-second pitch? Or do you think it's funny, it's probably not. (laughs) Absolutely. It's probably the total opposite. Um. I suppose because we focus frame by frame, literally, in the commercial game, um, the way we run our business is minute by minute. So um, it's not a practice what you preach situation, I guess, but um, it's yeah. an exciting cutthroat position to be in. So Okay, so I guess on, I mean, and let's face it, it's, it's pretty true, right? Missing Link doesn't have a slide deck. Uh, we do not have a pitch deck for our company, and that's all we sell companies all day long. Yeah, you know, it's, it's cobbler's children. Um, so let's go from that there then. So maybe take a leap. Let's take take me back a little bit. Uh, you've sparked your curiosity now. Uh, can you tell me a bit about your entrepreneurial journey? Uh, how you started? Maybe were there any key influential people in your life that you know set you down this path? I mean, did you ever have a job? Did you ever have a big commercial job? I've never never had a full-time job. Um, I've been passionate about filmmaking forever, so I've decided to do some freelance contract work um, as a student. So I love sport. So my first job was actually working for Supersport as a cameraman. I got to be on the field at the rugby, ringside at the boxing, and filming. So... It was a win-win situation. I made money doing it, and I loved every second of it. Awesome. Um, That was my student job. I can go back one step. When I was in high school, um, I kind of loved the model that Dell Computers kind of started. So I thought I could start building computers. And a friend and myself put together a little business um, trying to build and sell computers. And we hit brick walls left, right, and center. And, yeah, nearly cost ourselves a fortune of money with lawsuits. So yeah. that lasted a good six, seven months. <laughs> wow. And maybe as a quick interjection there for those listening, uh, I want you to pause right now and do a podcast search for the How I Built This podcast and 
listen to the, or not now, but uh, download and save the Michael Dell episode on how I built this, uh, how he managed to build this business, uh, not completely devoid of lawsuits and things like this himself, but how he managed to actually turn Dell into the business that it is, is a remarkable story on one of the best podcasts in the world. Absolutely. So from there, so, so computers, Yeah. I mean, at that stage, if I asked you what you were going to be, were you going to be a big computing company? Absolutely. At that stage, school-wise, I guess um, having an entrepreneur father and role model in my life, I was always interested in doing something for myself. So is your dad an entrepreneur? Yes. So my dad started his own business in 1986 when we moved from Zimbabwe to South Africa. Um, he started a manufacturing company with literally himself and one machinist, sewing machinist. And... Today, he has 140 machinists, 30 admin staff, and a big factory in Weinberg. And what did they do? What kind of business? Mm-hmm. They manufacture cosmetic packaging um, and bags and wallets and leather kind of goods. Branded or for like their own brand? No. Like, they, could I buy custom, bags? Custom oh, okay. made to order. Okay, go on. Now, now, did you never consider early on was uh, I imagine uh, you, there was some pressure on you in the early days or did your dad want you to go and make your own way as an entrepreneur? I think my dad's always guided me to do what I love, what I'm passionate about. Um, obviously, there's a lot of um, willingness and want from his side for me to join his business um, and help him grow it, but he's more passionate about seeing me succeed. Right, now... So it's quite a leap. So was it the, I'm trying to understand, was it the super sport that introduced you to film or was it that you'd been introduced to film and you loved it and that's what led to super sport? Which, which? Okay, so I'll go back to early days, childhood. Okay. It sounds very cliched, but it's 100% legit, is the thing that got me hooked on the entertainment industry was watching E.T., by Steven Spielberg. I don't know what it was, but that movie just hooked me and made me decide this will be my future. So from the age of about six or seven, I decided I want to make movies. Hmm. Um, In primary school, I did a camera course. In high school, I headed up the TV and video department. And then... I thought, this is a fantastic career. I want to go make movies. Um, Sadly, South Africa does not have a successful feature film industry. That's so funny because I thought from the outside, we always hear about how Cape Town is this. And in fact, on that, are you not in the wrong city to be a filmmaker? Funnily enough, um, Johannesburg is 80% of our business. Okay, so is it just a... Cape Town is a service industry. So if I want to be an assistant or if I want to be a, any assistant in the game, camera assistant, art department assistant, production assistant, it's a fantastic city to be in because all your Hollywood superstars come down and you can assist them. But running your own business and the actual advertising side of it, I would say is 80% Johannesburg or Gauteng. Okay. Yeah. So this, this, and then again, just the second part. You were saying that we don't have a film industry, but I was under that, you know, there was us and there's, you know, as uh, in Nollywood and Bollywood. And are we not a player yet? And is there the potential for us to become a player later? 
I hope there's potential. There's a lot of movies that are slowly coming through and making some decent money. But at the end of the day, we don't have the cinema-going market. We have a population of 52, 50-something million people in this country. And probably 40 million of them can't afford a 10-rand movie ticket. Well, because movie tickets are not 10-rand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But So that's what I'm saying. So... If we had to look, I actually did a thesis on film distribution when I finished graduate, when I graduated. And Stir Kinnikor's figures at the time was, I think, 2.8% of our population go to the movies. Of that 2.8%, would you rather see the new Star Wars or would you rather see a local South African film? And I suppose that's the problem we have with the entire industry in South Africa, music, film, all of that. Um, I started my business doing music videos, but there were no budgets for music videos because the record labels spent all the money advertising Britney Spears or Westlife. So the South African artists were given the scraps. Right, so the industry here basically exists more as a location uh, for Hollywood 100%. film companies rather than for a basis for South African films. Absolutely. And do you think... We have the strongest crew in the world. Really? Absolutely. So besides for location and price, because I ran to the dollar, um, our crew are ho- extremely hardworking. So funny enough, I came from rock and roll. Uh, that was where I started out. I toured with bands for Gearhouse. And we, uh, two years in a row, won the uh, world's best touring crew. Uh, from South Africa there we go. because we have a certain work ethic and but we're maybe not jaded maybe because it was newer we were hungrier or whatever it was but uh, uh, the South African work ethic seems to be uh, 100% okay. when I worked for Supersport um, HBO approached us for the big boxing um, Lewis Rachman fight um, that came to Carnival City and HBO said we they would use our Supersport crew because Golf, boxing, and rugby. We, us uh, at the time, Supersport and Sky Sports were the best in the world. Okay, so now we're learning a bit about the journey. You wanted to yeah. be, you wanted to make something. You wanted to be a film maker. Absolutely. You didn't want to be a film assistant to somebody else's make. You didn't That's want to be anyone's exactly. chef, right? Yeah. You wanted to be the head chef of film. You couldn't make feature films here. Yeah. It didn't make sense, and the budgets weren't there for music videos because people were spending money on. Uh, so was your jump straight into TV commercials or was there steps before that? So I looked at it, uh, firstly, when I got into studying film, I looked at the viability of creating a business that could support myself and my future family at the time. And commercials seemed the best at the time. Getting into the commercials game is a lot trickier than people think. Um You have to have the right director, you have to have the right team, you have to have the right connections. So when we started the business straight out of film school, we kind of took on anything and everything from corporate videos, training videos, marketing videos, music videos. As you all did. Exactly. Take what you can. can. And we literally started the business with, I think at the time, Absa needed 100 rand for the business account. So myself and my business partner put in 50 rand each. And we got going with what we could. And your business partner at film school with you? So he was at film school with me. We were actually head-to-head producer rivals for best producer of the year. Oh, wow. 
Um, so we, we decided let's rather team up. I actually won it in yes. the fourth year. Yes. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we decided let's team up rather than compete. We both had the same vision. Um, it's an amazing so lesson here as well, right? Uh, the idea is you saw your biggest rival and instead of going to war, uh, you uh, joined. Exactly. Keep your enemies close. Keep your enemies <laughs> close. It's like, um, wasn't it the PayPal? So Elon Musk had had a competitor to PayPal and then the other members of the Silicon Valley Mafia, they had uh, PayPal itself and they were the two biggest competitors in the landscape. And they kind of had coffee and thought, well, we can keep fighting this battle, uh, but it's just going to take away our margins. Mm. Or we could just remove competition from the equation, own the market by by uh, combining. Absolutely. So are you a billionaire, <laughs> founder of Tesla? I wish. <laughs> uh, well, it's also okay. the South African breweries model. Really? Yeah. So they see any potential threat or competition, quickly buy them out. And either once you bought them, close them down or um, incorporate them. Hmm. <laughs> Amazing. So, so you and your biggest competitor became... Uh, collaborators? Yes. Uh, are you still partners? He unfortunately passed away in a car accident in 2007. That must have been... Which was, yeah. I, I How long did you have the business this, starting? 2003 we started. Oh my so God. four years in. That must have been... It was horrific, yeah. I have visions constantly of the morning. Um, his roommate called me to say... It was 6.30 on a Sunday morning. And yeah, he gave me all the detail and then I had to sadly let the family know, which, yeah, that was one of the hardest times in my life, personally and business-wise, because as you know, as business partners, you're basically married to each other without the benefits. Right. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you come back? From, how did you come back from that? So I, I hit a bit of a crossroad at the time thinking, do I now basically give up what we've started and give in and, and change my path? Or do I actually continue the business and build it in his honor? And at the time, my current business partner today, um, who was Ryan's best friend at the time, approached me and said, let's do something in his honor. Wow. And... I took it as a challenge, and yeah, it's it's been absolutely incredible. Does ever? I mean, is there anything there? Uh, what was his name? Ryan Poole. Uh, okay. Do you ever have uh, like moment where you're like, uh, sure, what would Ryan do, or what would like? Is there ever moments where you come back to him and you think every business deal, every business decision, every finished product that we shoot, I think to myself, what would he have done, and what would he say about it. Really? And Absolutely. can you still hear his voice? Absolutely. Is he still your business partner? Yes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> it's frightening because we're now going into that kind of realm. But yes. No, but for sure. Once you've worked with somebody well enough, you kind of know. So he's become, it's actually, oh, I don't want to say there's a game, right? You never want to. But the idea was he used to be on the other end of the phone sometimes. Now he's on the other end of the phone all the time. Yes. Like you can always sit there and, and be introspective and kind of hear his voice, which it must be your conscience. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And out of interest in your business partnership, was he the uh, cautious, wait, what are you doing? Or was he the, let's do this, let's go, go, go. He was the absolutely wild party animal. I always tried to compare our business structure to Hollywood moguls, Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer. Hmm. 
And I put myself as the Brackheimer and he was the Don Simpson. Now, funnily enough, Don Simpson passed away. He passed away from a drug overdose, but it was the same kind of business model. Now, Ryan's best friend is? Tristan Holmes, my current business partner. And that's your current business partner. Is he also a bit of the kind of mavericky, crazy Don? Absolutely. So the, the only kind of difference between Tristan and Ryan is that Tristan is one of the most creative geniuses I know and is a director. Ryan was a co-producer with me. And so what I learned from the business structure with Ryan at the time was that directors are actually what's going to make us money. So when Tristan approached me as an absolute genius director who's actually the only student Academy Award winning director. The Academy Awards. Yeah, an Oscar. He has an Oscar. Wow. (laughs) So he won an Oscar at AFTA for his short film. And that was at the time of Tsotsi. So when Tsotsi won the Academy Award, he went up at the same Academy Awards to get his short film. His Um, short film Oscar. Everything from then has got to feel like a letdown. Yeah, well done. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You got a Nuri. Shot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So um, it's quite cool having a business partner who's an Oscar winner, and it's great for business. So. Okay, so, me, so, okay, so I want to, I want to, I'm not challenge that, but provoke that a little bit further. So I find a missing link, though. We have a problem because we have a commercial reality, not an artistic reality. Now I'm sure when you won the student uh, film, it wasn't for you know selling toilet paper, no. right? And I sometimes find that when the mistake we used to look at people's portfolios when they left design school. And we would hire people or film school, depending whichever discipline we were hiring. And we would hire these people who were they had the most amazing, creative, beautiful bodies of work ever. Mm-hmm. And artists always fail for us. Yeah. Because an artist was trying to create art and we we're trying to sell banking. You know, we're essentially at any given time, we we're selling a bank or an engineering firm or a, you know, we have a commercial problem to solve for our customers and our, our for us, one of our missing link things is solve the problem. Mm. Like we've got to solve the problem for people. Do you not find when you've got this person who is an Academy Award winning filmmaker trying to get him to make a toilet roll commercial feels like beneath him? Or how do has that been a challenge or is it not? It was a challenge for the first few years. Um, I can tell you from 2007 when he became my business partner till about... 2010, beginning of 2010, no one wanted to give him work because he was this big shot. Well, he thought of himself as this big shot filmmaker, but slowly it fades away and it's an, just another trophy on your cabinet. And like it you say, paid for any holidays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the toilet paper commercials do. Well, there I see we toilet go. paper, whatever. Yeah, yeah. whatever. So, luckily, we haven't done any toilet paper. We've worked with some master yet. brands, eh? Yeah, we've been fortunate to work with some superb brands. Um, some examples? Um, we've done a lot of Vodacom. We actually started Tristan's com- a commercial um, career on Vodacom commercials. Um, Which are obviously very iconic. Like, Vodacom commercials are very well known. Yeah, we've done three main major brand commercials for Vodacom. The one I'll never forget is we actually went location wrecking via helicopter to look for four rooftops of buildings that we could join together with a water theme park. Wow. You must have a shit ton of staff for all of these things. We have a staff count of five people permanent. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. 
So um, the best part about my industry, which a lot of kind of entrepreneurs disagree with, I guess, is that we have minimal staff, but when each job gets confirmed or secured, we crew up with freelance or contract work. So I'm not sure they disagree, but I think that they maybe don't see it as a, I don't I don't think they look at it as an option and then said no that's crap I think they maybe never thought of that as an option so wait so if you're shooting a big I mean how big can your team be so we go as I say five permanent staff to um the Vodacom one I was just telling you about we had 132 crew members and 35 cast members and yeah Jeez, if you run a credit roll at the end of a <laughs> television commercial. Absolutely. It would be like five times longer than the commercial. Yeah, yeah. There is no respect for commercial filmmaking because people look at it as 30 seconds or 60 seconds and they're like, oh, that must have taken you about half a day to do. Come on, were they all necessary? <laughs> Those 130 Absolutely. How? You see, in the filmmaking game, there's a lot of assistance to assistance to assistance. So the director's got an assistant who's got an assistant whose assistant makes him coffee. But in the commercial game, I would say every single crew member is valuable. From the producer to obviously the director to the spark to the Jenny operator to the assistant that's bringing the prop to the art director. Every single person plays a key role in that commercial. Okay. Now, out of interest, do you think other businesses could or should consider looking at a model like that instead of having everybody full-time? Absolutely. If you can, I think it's the best model to look at. Um, on quiet months or quiet weeks, we have minimal expense, which is fantastic. And we gear up to project by project. The reason, though, it works so well in our game is because I don't have a nine-to-five office job. I... Every job takes me to a different location, studio, city, or country. So to employ the same crew for every job would actually be detrimental to the job. Right. So we crew up according to the brief. So let me ask you this missing link, for example. Let's use that as a case study. Let's say you're coaching me. Sure. Um, so we, our learning curve for presentation design is quite large. Right, So we've got to teach people and things like that. But actually, we've got a process. So there could be a bit that's tough, you know, getting to the presentation strategy. And then there could be the actual design implementation, what we call visual rendering, mm -hmm. which technically I could give a brief to a designer. Yeah. We would typically look at it and say, well, we'll freelance. We've got capacity, so we have a certain amount of work. Because obviously it costs us more money ultimately yeah. to use full-time freelancers than it would be if we, if we hired them. Absolutely. Even if kind of when we amortize it, maybe across the quiet months, it still works out, you know, yes, if we average what we pay a staff member versus paying that person freelance. Yeah. However, when at the point, I mean, is there never a point where you would turn around and say, I've paid this guy. Uh, I mean, you must be paying some freelancers more than you're paying yourself. Absolutely. That's one of the biggest regrets. And I wouldn't call it a regret, but one of the biggest um, hurdles or stumbling blocks that I face is, that some of the heads of departments that are freelance, that I bring in job to job, earn way more than I do. Right. Um, and I see them on the next set or on the next project driving this incredible car um, 
And I wonder, like, I what's, paid, I paid what's going on? Yeah, I paid for that car. Now, out of interest, what could one of these people, without going personal names or anything, yeah. what could one of these people earn per month if they're freelancing at the top of their game? Well, I can tell you I pay some of my heads of department 10,000 rand a day um, for the shoot, for the project. They work on about 23, 24 days a month. So they're earning so 300 they, plus. Yeah. So I can tell you some of the busy people are earning about 300 grand a month. So let's say you took one of them. With zero expense. Sorry. And you salaried one of them. Yes. How much would you expect? Because some people have salaried them, right? Yeah. Well. How much would you expect to pay somebody at that level? I mean, could you get somebody for 100K a month? I could get someone for 100K a month, but they would never be of that level of talent. Really? And then it would be boxing myself in with the creativity. That person. So that's the key here, right? Is that, yes, you could use Bob at 100K a month. You, you use him six times a year, which is amazing. And if you hired him full-time, so let's say you're using him six times a year for 200K a month. Yeah. But if you hired him full-time, you could get him for 100K a month. Yeah. If you could get him. Yeah. The problem is then you would want to use them the other six months and then there'd be a big creative gap because you'd be caught into Bob's thinking as opposed to right now you can get Kevin's thinking or Susan's exactly. thinking. So that's why I say I've got five full-time employees because that's the model we've looked at. The people that can actually go from job to job and be more permanent with us without sacrificing the creative on the job, I've brought in full-time. Everyone else, I think it's only fair to keep the creative juices flowing that we hire and crew up specifics right. to the job. So in your business, in our business, our biggest, our biggest cost every month is operational costs. In yeah. yours, it would be cost of sale, right? Absolutely. Operational costs are actually relatively lean. As, yeah, I would say myself and my business partner's salaries are, are the probably biggest the biggest. Costs. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. Now... So that partnership, how has that grown and evolved? Is the business still the same as it was? Yeah. So um, when we started breaking into commercials, it was just Tristan and myself. Um, he started getting the briefs and winning the briefs. And um, we started being looked at as a threat, which was my kind of mission statement when we started. Um, funnily enough. Yes, to be a threat. Threat in the status yeah. quo. Love it. Yeah. My, my quote that I always kind of brought when I was at film school was because it was always like, do we go to Hollywood and become famous there or do we stick it out in South Africa? So my quote was always, I'd rather be a big fish in the small sea than a small fish in the big ocean. Mm. And we're now the whale in, really? <laughs> in South Africa, which has actually worked. So... Um, one of the stories, which is fantastic from my side of things, um, is we were approached by the monster of the industry um, probably about three and a half, four years ago to buy us out. They wanted to buy out our business and get us to go and work for them. The SAB model. <laughs> the SAB model, exactly. And then you knew you fulfilled the mission. You were a threat. Yeah. But we had lots of chats until we actually knew what they wanted to do. And then we both looked at it and said, absolutely not. We're not doing this. And the executive producer of that business at the time turned to me in his office and said, you will never make it in this game without me. 
And to cut a long story short, their business doesn't exist anymore. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sure. So we are, we are one of the top three industry players, which I'm extremely proud of. I mean, it is amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Since we've been taking commercials seriously, it's been about eight, eight years. Sure. But the okay. business has been going 15 years. Um, so then let's talk about that then. I mean, it took you half your business to find your thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you could go back, and I mean, maybe you should, because I'm not sure what the answer to this question would be. Would you have done it earlier or was the timing right? What advice would you give yourself on the first, if you were coaching yourself the first three months of STAR, what would you tell yourself? Um, one of the biggest things, I wouldn't call it a regret, but that I would love to have done when I was younger was a business degree. Um, I always knew I wanted to run my own business. Um, and I suppose I've paid major school fees business-wise learning how to handle and run my business. But I rely on a lot of people for the tax side of things and the actual business management side of things, which would have been a fantastic thing to learn at the time. Um, and also to learn the industry. I, we literally took the bull by the horns when we were um, 20 and decided this is how we want to run it. It worked out in our favor, but in hindsight, it could have been a major, major flop. You know, that's, um, I mean, you just dropped a bomb there. I think it's actually, when I started Missing Link, what I learned was the product, everything I needed to know about the product. Mm. And I, you know, I'd said to you before we were chatting, um, uh, Adam's actually here because he's coaching me on an EO presentation I'm doing today. Uh, I'd said that I think that I have an amazing company, but a mediocre business, yeah. uh, which goes back to the, you know, I wish I'd learned more about business early on and maybe partially why you still refer to yourself as an executive producer. Because actually, you're still a filmmaker first, more than a CEO or CFO, because of, you know that's your background. Absolutely. But I realized something that I've never thought about, and I actually want to really kind of percolate on this in my newer business venture, is that you said, I wish I'd taken more time to learn the industry, because you'd learned the craft. So I think Missing Link is, you know, I would challenge yourself, I'd put us up there in the world against um, the best presentation designers. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I, I, I use the term, I don't think we're unrivaled, but I think we'd be able to go up against any rival. Mm -hmm. But actually, as a presentation business in our field, I think we're a, we're a C-level player. And maybe if I'd spent a slightly less time obsessing about craft yeah. and slightly more time obsessing about industry, and I think that's something that as entrepreneurs, we think about too much. We think too much about the, the thing that we do versus the place that we do it. Absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and so, so was that something that changed when you hit that period? Because you were always, you're still making films, right? So, but seven, eight years ago, you said, well, hold on a second. It's maybe not focus on how to make a better commercial, but how to understand the commercials industry. That's exactly Was that right. the change? Yeah. And I suppose it took my late business partner's death to to jog that. <laughs> right. So it's not right. about the film. It's about the film industry. It's not Absolutely. about the commercial. It's about the commercial industry. That's it. And again, because you're hiring people who make the films now. 
So a lot of, yes, you're bringing your input and things like this, but I'm sure a lot of the creativity will come from these resources you mentioned that you work with. Yeah, 100%. So you actually don't have to know everything. You just have to know the people that know everything and you've got to know the industry better, the landscape better. That's it. Shit, 100%. that's a bomb, man. That's massive. <laughs> and how did your business evolve at that point? Like if you could track the day I stopped focusing on the product and the day I started focusing on the 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 landscape in which my product has to survive, has your business grown? Well, that's when we be, started becoming... Um, the player. A player, absolutely. You Agencies are. started calling us. I'll never forget we went into one advertising agency before that time with a know-it-all mentality. We thought we'd be clever and put little debonairs um, bow ties on and took them pizzas for lunch, and it backfired like you cannot believe. Why? What was the, what was the context? Though? And what, what, because what we wanted to show who we were and show that we were these players that they needed to entrust with their next commercial or commercials. And the pizza idea was that, you know, you're... Creative people are hungry yeah. and yes, like something yeah. different, so let's show them that we're different. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and how did it backfire? Backfired because first, I think two people in the room ate a piece of pizza. No one had time to listen to us arrogant filmmakers. And nobody cared, right? And nobody cared, yeah. This isn't creative. Again, this goes back to my artist problem. We're not hiring art, guys. Yeah. Help me sell my toilet paper. My exactly. Phone, my uh, Vodacom subscriptions. Yeah. Okay. So why I'm telling you that story is because then when things changed, this agency is now one of my biggest clients. Now, what, what was, was there a moment when you realized, well, this is happening? Was there a time or was it a, a kind of, like you look back and think, holy shit, we've become a big player. Or was there a point where you realized things have changed in this business? I think one of the biggest points that I realized things were actually working out was when directors wanted to start, came to us and wanted to now work for us. So, uh, so you almost had two clients. You had the director and you had the agency. Exactly, yeah. So we went from my- Tristan being, one of, being the only director and now I exclusively represent seven directors on the African continent. Wow. Oh, wow. You exclu- so if somebody wanted to work with a director, yeah. they now have to work with a director through you. Absolutely. I just want to apologize if, there's, um, uh, some, if you hear some buzzing uh, appears that somewhere in our building complex, somebody's drilling. It's not in our office, I promise, but uh, <laughs> apologies about the background noise. We're going to be starting to wrap up anyway now, so there's only a few more minutes of... Uh, of listening to the drilling, so apologies. Um, so what's your current driver? So you've now, you've built this up there, you're a top three player. I don't know, you, so you've achieved, you were a threat, right? You knew you were a threat when that company approached you. You've proven that you were a, a threat worth worthy of the threat yeah. when they're no longer a player. You've proven that you can do it, you're a top three player. And I often wonder if being top three versus top one, if, if, you know, I don't know, becoming one, to, first of all, how do you quantify it? And two, will it feel like Time to drop the mic once you've done it. Will it even move your needle? What is the current... And, and I want to talk... Okay, so I want to ask you this on two levels. What is the current thing for that, the current driver for Star? Mm-hmm. And what is the current driver for Adam? Cool. So hopefully they lap, they overlap. <laughs> um, but the current driver for Star is we're looking at going global now. So Tristan is spending half his time in L.A., and we're looking at trying to set up office in LA. Why the biggest ocean? 
why did you go from the small sea and instead of going to a bigger sea or a small ocean, why did you jump from small sea to biggest ocean? I, I reckon the main reason for that is where it overlaps the Adam and the business side okay. of him is because feature films, full-length, 90-minute films have always been our passion. We've chosen the 30-second spot because it's been a financial decision in this country. But um, now that we feel we're kind of mastering our craft, I wouldn't say mastered, um, we feel we need the challenge of okay. going bigger. <laughs> I always say that um, everything you don't do at some point in your life, uh, you're, you're writing a check payable to regret. Yes. And one day <laughs> regret is going to come back and say, hey, man, uh, you know, you owe me for not doing this. And do you feel that even if it's a flop, even if it's a commercial flop, yeah. if when you're sitting there and you've retired or you're sitting there and you're 70 years old and you're reflecting on your professional career and you hadn't made a go at trying to make a feature film, yeah. do you feel that you'll regret that? Do you have to make that, pay that check back? Absolutely, without a doubt. And, and, and uh, there's no better place in the world than, than the, LA. LA. Uh, and versus, I guess... Very rarely would you look back and regret if I didn't make that extra million, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know, so because you've already proven it and you, um, you know, your family is looked after and things like that. So maybe the timing is perfect. Exactly. And one of the biggest rude awakenings for us was when we shot last year, we did a, a big South African brand commercial in LA. And I took my entire head of department crew to Los Angeles. We shot for six days in the city of dreams. Hmm. And we realized that they actually do it the exact same way that we do it. Yet they have all this fame and glory. And Wait, but they've just got location. They, we even have similar locations to them. I've often felt, I mean, I guess, look, this is a narrative as South Africans that, you know, we are, uh, we have the advantage of our birth. You know, we were lucky to be born a certain maybe gender or, or, you know, you could argue anything, sexual preference or race or things, all of these things that make it. But um, one of the things that we didn't have as an advantage is our location. Yeah. Like I often feel if I looked at the EO members mm. who were uh, the members of EO South Africa right now, if those same human beings were born in New York City Absolutely. or Silicon Valley, uh, we'd be billionaires. Yeah. Like I'm fairly certain because – the people we know, we all know the people who know the people and the who's who and things like this. And I'm fairly certain that we'd be sitting with giants. But the fact that we are, you know, existing and doing our thing in a little um, country just south of Africa, uh, South Africa, uh, is, makes it quite difficult. Absolutely. So are you willing, I guess, would you're boldly going in the true EO fashion mm. is you're boldly going to, to try and make an impact that's exactly and, it. Uh, are you going to use EO as part of your network? Well, I was just there? about to say, I'm giving a shout out to any EO members in California that are in the film or entertainment industry that want to help us realize this dream of. So I guess just one of the things that um, uh, maybe a lot of EO members don't uh, realize, but um, you really, really can just jump onto the site uh, you can go and have a look at uh, uh, my EO groups for filmmakers. Yeah. And I think you'll find that there are my EO groups for filmmakers. And you can join in one of those special interest groups. You could have quarterly forums with these guys, how to do it, how to make it in LA, all of these challenges. And there's, there's companies who've done this already around the world. And uh, in fact, in any industry, if you're an EO member and you're thinking of 
in any space. You must look at my year is not just going to ride bicycles. Uh, right, it is you know and stamp collecting. It's not just hobbies. Yeah, there are special interest groups for uh, airline professionals, financial service professionals, and if there isn't one, you can make one. And the other thing is, is ways that you can reach out. So you can reach out straight within the network. Go onto the app, search for things, and and to find that out. Now, I really think that um, you should almost try and become a case study. Sure. So, you know, like I'd love to have you back in a year on the show and to ask you again. Uh, how, you know, you're part of this organization, a relatively new member. How, yeah. how could you use this organization and milk it? Because a lot of people, they join this organization and they think it's Forum. And why I get massive value for Forum, we've got Forum today, is 10% of the actual impact that I get from EO at large because I dip in in so many different ways. And I'd like to challenge you to dip in as, in as many ways as possible, try to make this LA thing a reality. I'd love to take that challenge on. And yeah, like you say, I've only been a member of EO for three months now. So I'm still trying to get to grips with the app and the website and all of that and the potential that this organization has, which is the reason I joined. It seems absolutely unbelievable. Awesome. Well, if there are any other members out there who've had... Uh, uh, I mean, I know there's a member who's built up a production studio in is now a member, Damien Brown, now a member in Cape Town, but he's done work in LA. He's gone over there. He's done reality TV shows there. It'd be well worth having a coffee with him and with, um, I'm sure there's other local members, but also international members have done that. And uh, if there is anybody out there listening that knows people that can help, um, uh, yeah, by all means, please feel free to reach out to Adam. You can find his details all on the website or the app and definitely get in touch. Uh, he's a great guy and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being on radio and the, on the podcast. It really, I mean, it's been inspiring. Like this idea, you've really flicked a switch in my brain. I want to go to Don, my business partner, and just talk to her about this thing about industry versus craft. I think it's really, really powerful. And I want to challenge everybody to do that, to score yourself on two levels. How much, what score would I give myself out of 10 on how well I do what I do? And then the second thing is, what score would you give yourself out of 10 on how well I know my industry. And I think what you'll find is that some of us, uh, maybe, you know, if you're scoring badly on both, well, you know, fix that. But if you've got more than two or three points between either of those, if you know your industry at an eight, but your product at a five, we'll fix that. And if you know your product at a, a, a nine, but your industry at a four or five is where I kind of feel that I am. Uh, well, shit, that's something we have to remedy. So, for that alone, this has been time so well worth spent for me. So thank you very Great. much. Uh, you. I, I really feel like I, I want to make sure you bring that up in forum again. I'm going to try <laughs> and make sure that comes out. As always, I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and to uh, the people who have really helped make EO Johannesburg and EO South Africa the organization it is. That's Bidvest McCarthy, Bidvest Car Rental, uh, Exec Care and LaborNet. Uh, you know, I've not used Bidcare. Oh, in fact, we have recently used Bidvest. Uh, but exec care, I go for a medical every year as part of our forum uh, experience. Uh, my health, I've, I've managed to lose uh, 13 kilograms this year so far. And that all started off with my seeing what I had to do as part of my uh, exec care health assessment. LaborNet have helped us recently through two very, very big things in our business. They've been amazing. And another thing I've actually recently taken advantage of, and because they're not a South African sponsor, they don't get all the mentions. But BA's discounts for EO members. Uh, I travel quite a lot and they've been really, really helpful. I just booked a ticket to London using an exact deal. 
Fantastic. So <laughs> please be sure if you are doing some travels, be sure to uh, jump out. If you're not sure, check with Laura or Andrea or wherever you're listening for. Check with your chapter administrator or manager and um, they'll be able to point you in the right direction for those things. So that's it. So um, Adam Thal, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, I'm really, really excited and I'm looking forward uh, to seeing you uh, on that Oscar stage yourself uh, for Star's second Academy Award. Fantastic. I look forward to showing you the Oscar. Ready. <laughs> Take it easy. Thanks, Rich. Okay. And uh, before we go, just because we have to, Ross Drakes, we miss you. I miss your beard. I miss your laugh. I miss your man smile. Cool. <laughs> Peace. Bye, everybody.